Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. Tonight's sermon is, I suppose, uh, maybe a bit of an interesting one for me. So if uh, you're familiar with City Light and our preaching, um, you would know that we often do what is called um, expository preaching, um, which is what I usually do. We kind of go through the text and explain and, uh, and apply along the way. Um, but tonight, so I, I, as I was preparing the sermon, I found myself doing something which I suppose I might call uh, analogical preaching or illust- illustrative preaching. Um, I found myself preparing and I was like, man, most of my sermon is like one big analogy which you don't quite uh, see the effect taking place towards the end. So it kind of made me uncomfortable as I was preparing it, but um, we'll see how we go. I think, I think it'll be okay um, with God's grace. Um, so with that uh, preface, let me uh, read the text and then I'll pray and then we'll get into it. This is 1 John 3, verses 18 to 24. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him in whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that uh, your Spirit would be manifest amongst us, that it will um, both guide the words that I say and will open uh, the congregation's heart to the things that are helpful and beneficial for their Christian life. We thank you, Lord, for the promise of your presence. In your name, amen. Well, there is a popular saying in Western culture, and it's illustrated by this cartoon image uh, on the screen here. So here we have a man who is clearly ignoring the fact that there's an elephant in the room. Uh, He's whistling. He's got his back to him. He does not want to look at the elephant. But you can tell one thing, that he is very aware that the elephant is there. He knows the elephant is there. The elephant represents something uncomfortable to deal with, something that may be painful to deal with, perhaps something that he's done or something that's been done to him, and something he would like to ignore for as long as possible. Some people live with this kind of personal elephant for a long, long time. And what they've done, in essence, in living with this is they've settled for a lesser life and not a greater life. So this is a personal elephant. But most people understand this concept when it comes to relationships, um, which is shown by this next image. So here we have a couple in the, ro- in the room, and um, they have an elephant in the room. 
And what was true of the personal elephant is true of this shared elephant. Both people know of its presence, but neither want to deal with it because it's uncomfortable or painful and much easier to ignore, at least for the time being. The man with the personal elephant, he settled for a lesser life, while these two have settled for, say, a lesser relationship, which really amounts to a lesser life. Their relationship now lacks the harmony that it once had because, uh, and here's the saying, because there's an elephant in the room and nobody's talking about it. There's a problem in the room and nobody's talking about it. There are variables on the situations. For instance, um, it might be that the man does not see the elephant, does not see the problem, and the woman needs to tell him about it, reveal it to him. Um, It also, neither of them may not see the elephant, may not see the problem, and they need a third person to come along and reveal it to them both. So in any relationship, if there is an elephant in the room, it must be dealt with if there's going to be meaningful harmony between people, which does amount to a greater life and not a lesser one. Now, we must remember, understanding that, understanding relationships, that we do not worship a distant God. Scripture speaks over and over about a highly relational God. So we must speak of him in highly relational terms. We must understand him in relational terms. Um, And with this truth comes great understanding for your Christian life, for your walk because we know from our own lives what it means to be in relationship. The moment you were born, you were in a relationship. I could even go on further. The moment uh, you, were con- you were conceived by an act of a relationship, and uh, for the nine months after that, you were in a unique and dependent relationship uh, with your mother. And then after that, after you were born, you were born into this world of relational realities, right? your family, or relational possibilities, you know, who is this person going to meet as they get older? So there are two truths here that I speak of. We know deep down to our bones, we know what it means to be in a relationship. We've been practicing our whole lives. And God is a highly relational God. So what happens when sin comes between you and someone else? And, uh, and this could be as well, a problem is the elephant, a sin could be represented by the elephant, and no one talks about it. What happens when this happens between you and someone else? And by this, I don't mean that one-off sin. Um, you know, a love covers a multitude of sins, the scripture tells us. So when sin happens, we don't just like punch people straight in the face. I'm talking about like that repetitive, ongoing, persistent sin that happens in relationships. What happens? Well, the relationship lacks the harmony that it once had. I mean, suppose, this could be, for example, suppose a parent, a mother or a father. Mothers and fathers are human, and being human, they, have, they are full of error, and being full of error, they sometimes raise their kids in a way that is unhelpful to their children. But sometimes they do not say sorry, and eventually their kids will realize this and eventually they will start to resent the fact that their parents are sinning against them by not apologizing to them 
when they commit error. And that is what we call a lesser family life. That is one example. And when this kind of sin, repetitive sin, prolonged and uh, unrepentant sin, comes between you and God, it can be the same. You can be um, out of harmony with God. You can live out of step with God. There is, in fact, an elephant in the room with you and God, and it must be dealt with for you to be in step with him. The elephant in the room is our prolonged and um, unrepentant sin. It uh, has disrupted our relationship, our harmony with God. This is our elephant in the room. Now, if you and God represent the two parties, you know, we must say that God is always good, he's always just, he's always perfect, he's always loving. The elephant is never his doing. Uh, And furthermore, he always sees and is concerned about our sin. He is never blind to our sin. He sees it, he knows it, he is concerned to help us see it, know it, and remove it. So this is not an elephant in the room that he is unwilling to deal with. Now we, on the other hand, we cope with the elephant in the room, our sin, in in very different ways. First, it's possible that we do not see the elephant. We're blind to it. We're just blind to certain uh, sin and certain behaviours that we have in our life. In this case, we're reliant on two things. Uh, We're reliant on our fellow Christian brothers and sisters to show us our actions. Or we're reliant on God to reveal it in our hearts and our lives. Now this leads to the second response, which is what we often don't do. Uh, We see the elephant and we address it straight away. Um, Whether we see it on our own accord, or our friends reveal it, or God highlights it, the sin has been named and removed. This is the ideal response, um, but I find, at least for me, it's often not the case. Now, the third response is this, and this relates to our text. We see the elephant in the room, and we do not want to address it, and our hearts suffer. Our hearts suffer. This reality of our heart suffering is in the text, um, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. First, I want to ask this question. What does the future hold? Uh, so what does the future hold for someone who does not deal with the elephant in the room? What does the future hold for someone who does not want to deal with the, the sin that God is trying to highlight to them? What is their future? Now, it's possible that that person is not truly saved at all. That is a, pos- that is a strong possibility. Um, it's one possibility. And uh, this has been preached on in previous weeks. And um, we should look into that. Another possibility is that God will judge such a person with an early death or perhaps a meaningless life. Now, that's a pretty interesting thing to say. Um, so last year I did a study on certain sins in the book of First Corinthians. And I found this uh, kind of interesting pattern of believers true believers who were um, stuck in this repetitive, ongoing sin and they did not get out and God judged them with an early death. There's a pattern in that book. In 1 Corinthians 5 verse 5, Paul mentions an immoral person and Paul says of this person, this is actually the most immoral person in the book, Um, Paul says of him that he's decided to deliver this guy to Satan 
for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So in the Corinthian church, there was this major elephant in the room, and it was this guy and his sin which was bringing everyone down. It was creating less harmony. Everybody knew the sin was happening, and nobody wanted to deal with it. Now, Paul told the church that they should have removed this man from their community. But because they had not done so, Paul's judgment as, a, as an apostle, as what he, could have, what he could do, was that he was actually judging this person to death, an early death. But do not miss that the judgment of death is followed by salvation in the day of the Lord Jesus. And that might not be something that you've thought about before. Notice the significance here. Paul did not regard the the immoral man as unsaved, for the man's spirit was going to be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus. So this is an example of a true believer who committed ongoing repetitive sin. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul also mentions how there are certain um, Christians, certain believers in the community who were taking communion in an unworthy manner, and God's judgment on them was to bring them early death, which is something we probably don't think about as we're taking communion every single week. Um, in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul retells the story of Israel where many of God's people were destroyed by serpents as a judgment. So let me recap. There are two possibilities uh, for someone who does not deal with um, this prolonged and unrepentant sin. First, it is possible that they are not truly saved. And we need to look into that. They need to look into that as a possibility. Second, it is possible that they are truly saved and that God will uh, judge them by perhaps an early death, a meaningless life, uh, or or another uh, unknown thing. You know, we, we can't look into people's hearts and know the truth. We can't decisively look at someone and go, you know, you're saved, you're not saved, you're saved. We can't do that. But the third option is not a possibility. It's in fact a reality. The third option is a reality. Uh, These words are from 1 John 3.20. God is greater than our heart and he knows all things. God is greater than our heart and he knows all things. Now the word heart is usually interpreted as meaning conscience. Sometimes our conscience will make us believe we are unsaved, that we have committed so much sin that it must be impossible for a true child of God to live this way. But this verse is the hope of everyone because it makes us focus on the character of God, that he is a good and a wise judge, that he knows everything, and that he is greater than our hearts, that he is greater than our conscience, He is greater than the things that we think about ourselves. He knows all things. In fact, whatever we think about ourselves is not important. And what God thinks about us is supremely important. People today live in four realities. Four realities. Now, the first believe that they are unsaved, and they are unsaved. Um, These are people who do not trust in the person and work of Christ, and so they are not saved. These are someone who are like, I understand what you're saying, and I don't believe it, and so by your um, uh, uh, reasoning, I am unsaved, and they are. The second group of people are those who think they are saved, and they are saved. Now, this is where you want to be. Um, You want to be someone who has great assurance of your salvation, 
and in fact, you are saved. The second group is exactly where you want to be. The third group of people are those who do not think they are saved, but they are saved. Uh, This group of people contains believers who live with um, patterns of prolonged sin in their life. Their conscience tells them to stop. God tells them to stop. The church tells them to stop, but they struggle to stop. It is hard to fight sin. It does not happen overnight. And because it does not happen overnight, which is sometimes we push people too hard, their hearts tell them, you cannot be a Christian. Christians do not live like this. But God is greater than our conscience and he knows all things. And he sees the honest seed of the right and true desire of someone's heart. A seed that no one else, not even them, can sometimes see. Now the fourth group of people is the scariest. Um, The fourth group of people are those who think they are saved, but they are not saved. Now out of those four categories of people, where would you sit? Because there's only four. So do you have assurance of salvation? Are you unsure of where you stand with God? I'm thankful for the knowledge of God, that he knows me, that he knows you at the deepest level anyone could, that he is a good judge, that he knows who are his, that he is greater than our hearts, and that he knows all things. But do you know where you stand? And you really need to, if you don't, you really need to work that out. Assurance of salvation isn't for God. It's for you. God knows the people who are his. But do you know? And how do you know? No matter what you're standing, God knows. And he is an honest and good judge. And you will be dealt with accordingly. But do you realize that you can have the assurance? Do you realize that you can have the assurance? So John writes, going back to, uh, I think it's 319, uh, 318. Let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him in whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our, heart does not, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This text tells us that we can be assured by our hearts that we belong to God. This text tells us that we can have confidence before God. How can you have assurance today? This week, in the coming months and years, how can you have assurance? You have to live a life that constantly deals with the elephant in the room. That's one way, that constantly deals with the elephant in the room. You have to live a life that constantly deals with the sin that creeps into your life. Give yourself time to deal with it, but deal with it. Now, the Christian life, um, we often think, is quite... Uh, victorious, and uh, perhaps in some ways we overestimate it. Uh, But uh, from my observation, the Christian life is a life of baby steps. And these baby steps you make in your Christian walk 
may seem like nothing, but the father finds great joy when his children make steps towards him. doesn't matter how big it is or small. Uh, you know, if you're, <laughs> let's say if God is all the way, I don't know, on the other side of the world, and you're here, and you step like this, you make a little step, one step, that's, that's great. That's a good day. You should, like, rejoice in that day. Um, and uh, just see it for what it is, a step towards him. And this is your second assurance. Um, and this is a very challenging one. Uh, watch the effectiveness of your prayer life. Now, please note that I'm, that I'm not saying, uh, uh, like, effective, as in, like, you're going to pray more. I'm saying e, effective. Watch the um, effectiveness of your prayer life. I'm not saying that you will pray more. Some of you Christians are out there, and you're praying your hearts out to God, and he's not listening. God is not putting any of your prayers into effect because he wants to deal with the elephant in the room. So if you go back to that verse, you find that verse amazing. Um, Whatever we ask, we receive from him. That's prayer. Because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Now that's an incredible thought. Whatever we ask, we receive from him. Whatever we ask, we receive from him. Now is that concept true for you? Um, It's a challenge to me. Are we praying with this sort of tenacity? Are we praying with this sort of expectancy? And if we are, is God making any of those prayers effective? Or does he want me to deal with something first? Does he want you to deal with something first? Now there's an important, actually a very supremely important point to make about this verse. Um, Dealing with your sin and keeping his commandments and doing the things that are pleasing in God's sight does not force God to act on your prayers. Does not force God to act on your prayers. Say that again, it's very important. Dealing with your sin, commandments, and keeping his commandments and doing things that are pleasing in God's sight does not force him to act on your prayers. But it does, according to this verse, decide if... He acts on your prayers. Like I say that another way that your obedience is not the cause for effective and answered prayer, but it is a condition for effective and answered prayer. Some of you might be praying and praying and praying, and God is saying, look over there. I want you to deal with the elephant in the room. I want you to deal with that part of your life. It's ruining our harmony. It's ruining our relationship, our keeping in step with each other. Go deal with it because your prayers are falling on deaf ears. So here's the way, um, if we're talking about understand, uh, assurance of salvation, here's the way I understand my own assurance of salvation, and it does directly tie with John's last words in our text. Uh, so from verse 23. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Just as he commanded us, the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. 
How do I know that I am saved? My answer is this. All of my salvation is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. All of it. Every drop. This salvation has been obtained by faith alone in the person and work of Christ. Now when this faith transaction occurs, God's Spirit was given. It's given to everyone who puts his faith in Christ. God's Spirit was given to me and and I am reminded of his presence when I endeavor to keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing to him. However, on the flip side, when I don't do the commandments of God, when I don't do the things that are pleasing to him, I find that I am not reminded of his presence. I am still his child, but his salvation is not manifesting in my life on account of the sin and disobedience that is becoming a pattern. The gospel is all we need to be saved, but our life response to the gospel is what will assure us of salvation. The gospel is all we need to be saved, but our life response to the gospel is what will assure us of salvation. Without this life impact, if there is no life impact, we will know up here in our minds that we are saved, but when the gospel impacts our life, when it gets a response, the Spirit will assure us of salvation. Now, which one gives more assurance? Our feeble and weak minds or the Holy Spirit of God? Which one is more powerful in its assurance? So as we take communion tonight, decide to deal with the elephant in the room. It could be a personal and private elephant and it may need private confession to God or to someone else. It could be an issue of church unity. Are you in unity and right relationship with the people around you? You need to be. And also working out where you are in terms of those four types of people. Some of you may not be assured of your salvation. And I think it would be wise to speak to someone before taking communion. Not because you shouldn't, just because, just get it over with. Let's just deal with it. There's no point waiting. Deal with the elephant in the room and watch the effects of your prayer life and know God's assurance in your heart because you can, because you have the Spirit in you. Let's pray and take communion together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you have sent your Holy Spirit and that um, he is ministering today amongst us, even now. We ask that um, we thank you, Lord, for um, the small victories and the large victories that you give us as your children. We ask that uh, for those of us here who struggle with assurance, that you would um, empower them in a way that assures them of salvation. Empower them to deal with Um, the unhelpful and unhealthy and sinful patterns in their life that can create this um, mind. And Lord, we thank you as well for those who do have assurance. Um, We thank you for that grace that allows them to have that assurance. We ask that they will be patient with those who... um, 
maybe further back in the Christian life, and that um, people will um, live in a, a culture of encouragement, uh, spurring each other on in an encouraging way to follow you. Father, if anyone lacks um, the saving spirit right now, we ask that you would save them. And if anyone lacks the sanctifying spirit, we ask that you would come and work on their hearts in this next moment of worship. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.